Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today will be taken from the reading we just heard in the Gospel of Luke. You may be seated. We begin with the word of prayer. Almighty Father, we give you thanks that your will is done here on earth as it is in heaven. But Lord, we confess that at times it is hard for us to see that your will is being done. So we pray that as we hear your word today, you would convince us that you do all things for our good. Now grant us to trust in you by granting us your Holy Spirit, so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is one of the more magnificent petitions that the Lord Jesus gave to us and placed on our lips when he taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But I would venture to guess that for you, as it is for me, this is one of the more difficult petitions to pray in the Lord's Prayer. And I think it's difficult petition to pray for, for really two reasons. The first reason, I think, is fairly easily dealt with. But oftentimes we pray, thy will be done. And we do it kind of in a begrudging way. Like we pray it like this. Okay, God... You get to have your way, and I don't get to have any fun, so you do whatever you want, and I'll just suffer through it. Thy will be done. Like That's kind of how we feel about it. That it's God getting his way, and my old sinful nature being upset because it doesn't get to have the fun that it wants to have. Now, I actually think that's the wrong way to think about this petition. What we need to understand is that thy will be done is not us praying something like this, God, you get your way, and I don't get my way, though there may be a hint of that there. But rather, we want to think of the, the petition, Thy will be done, as the battle cry of faith over against sin, death, and the devil. When we pray, Thy will be done, what we are saying is essentially this. God, do not allow Satan and our enemies to have the final say over us. It is your will, O oh God, to forgive my sins, to redeem me, and to save me. It is your will to place all good blessings into the palms of my empty hands. It is your will, in other words, to give me my daily bread. So let your will be done and prevent the work of anything or anyone in this world, be it the devil, the world, or my own sinful flesh. Do not allow those things to prevent you from giving me all of your blessings. Hinder the, hinder the works of those who would try and stop you from showing me your love. And when you think about it that way, it's actually a pretty wonderful and exciting petition to pray. It's a magnificent prayer. So that's the first reason we probably struggle with it. And again, I think that's, that's easily dealt with. But I think there's a second reason we struggle to pray this particular petition. I think oftentimes it's hard for us to say, thy will be done, because we're not really so sure that's actually going to happen. We're not convinced God's will is being done in this world. As we look around, we find that we live in a world where it seems like the will of everyone but God is having its way. And so we pray this petition and, and we wonder, is it actually going to happen? Is God's will going to be done? Or perhaps even more terrifying as we look at what's happening in the world around us, we wonder, is this all God's will? And we grow frightened and uncomfortable. On a very deep level, this is a very difficult petition for us to pray. And we wonder, are the things that are seeking to prevent God's will from being done actually winning? 
And I have to wonder if that kind of mentality wasn't kind of what was in the minds of the Pharisees in our reading from the Gospels. When the Pharisees came to Jesus to warn him about Herod, the Pharisees, it seemed, were worried that Herod was going to come along and stop Jesus from doing God's will. Now, it's interesting to note, before we move on, that very often we disparage the Pharisees when we read the Gospels. But here's one of those accounts where I don't think we can do that. I actually think the Pharisees here have Jesus' best intentions, as far as they can tell. They have Jesus' best intentions in their minds. We actually find, if you read the scriptures closely, that there are a number of Pharisees who are very interested in Jesus. And some of them, it seems, may have even become followers of Jesus along the way. And I would venture to guess that these were among those types of Pharisees. So they come to Jesus, and they warn him that he is trying, as he is out trying to establish his kingdom in this world, there is one who stands opposed to him. They warn him about Herod. Herod, that sort of violent, evil, would-be sort of pseudo-king of Israel, who is fresh off of beheading John the Baptist, now has his murderous gaze fixed upon Christ. And so the Pharisees come to Jesus to warn him, saying, look, Herod's will is to kill you. His will is to stop you from threatening him. Because I think Herod probably felt threatened by Jesus. See, it was Herod's will to silence the word of God. He perceived Jesus as a threat to his power. And in our world, when those who have power feel like their power is being threatened, what do they do? They attack. They fight. And they kill. Power is exerted and maintained by threatening and imposing death. I mean, we can just kind of think of all the crazy stuff going on. Crazy, but just horrifying stuff going on over in the Ukraine right now. It's like you have this leader who sees in, in Putin, you have this guy who sees the existence of the Ukraine as uh, sort of a threat to his authority or a threat to the glory of Russia or something like this. So how does he take the glory back? He attacks, fights, he bombs. Now we see things like this taking place in our world, and this is where it starts to shake our faith a little bit, and we start to wonder about the will of God. When we see wars like this, when we hear of rumors of wars, what we notice is that for us, the fear starts to creep in. We start to worry about our own nation. We start to worry about our own soldiers being sent over into those conflicts. We begin to worry about the abilities of our own leaders, and then we start to look at everything else around us, and it feels like the world is kind of falling apart. We start to watch things like gas prices skyrocket, and our finances become more crunched. And we begin to see the world as we know it, or as we knew it, changing in ways that are very uncomfortable and very frightened of us. So we begin to wonder about the will of God. We begin to fear that his will indeed will not be done, and we begin to wonder exactly what that is. And matters only become worse when we start to see the way that the world then shifts against the church in these times. Not just the powers that be above sort of threatening, with violence, but now the world around us rejecting very aggressive and pointed ways, rejecting Christ and the preaching of his word. I think this is the other part that Jesus is speaking about today in our reading from the gospel. He talks about Jerusalem, and he speaks to Jerusalem, and he tells them how he has longed to gather them to himself. How he has beckoned them through the preaching of the prophets in the Old Testament to repent of their sins and turn back to their God. 
Jesus says, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you as a chick, as chicks are gathered beneath the wings of a hen, but you would not come. Jesus said, I sent my word to you, and my word through the preaching of the prophets, like the wings of this hen, hen calling you together to protect you and to provide for you. But how did Jerusalem respond to Jesus? Or how did Jerusalem respond to the prophets, to the word of God? Jesus says, Jerusalem is that city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. These are people who had received God's promises and God's blessings. These are people who had been given the city of Jerusalem by God's grace alone. These were the people who had been promised that the Messiah, the Savior, not just of Israel, but of the whole world, would come from their bloodline. And they are found rejecting God and killing his messengers. God called them to come to him for rest, forgiveness, and healing. But Jesus says, you were not willing. Since you have God as their God, this was against their will. And I still think we see this attitude among us all throughout the world with people aligning against the church. There are many who just will not have Jesus. These are those people who every single day wake up to the blessing, to the gift, to the grace of God's sunrise, who breathe the gift of his oxygen, who uh, enjoy the gift of his daily provision, and then mock his existence, belittle his church, and despise the preaching of his word. You know, we're at the point now in our society where it's not just that people are rejecting the idea that Jesus is God or that he rose from the dead or they're even rejecting just the authority that the scriptures go to God's word. They're beginning to reject the very creation, the very design of creation itself. So we live in a time now where we think we can debate at what point does a baby actually become a human being in a womb? Who does get to define what a marriage or what a family is? And let's not be so dogmatic about defining things, you know, like male or female. What's more, let's not get into all of this business about preaching the word of God and and repentance for the forgiveness of sins because repentance just makes people feel bad. We don't want all that negative talk about us. We want to be positive all the time. We don't need to make people feel guilty. After all, aren't we all just victims of our circumstances? We have a world that would not have a God who creates, who defines, who forgives on his terms. He does create, he does love, and he does call all of his creatures to himself. He would gather all of us to himself as a hen gathers the chicks beneath her wings, but the world is not willing. Now I would venture to guess but that doesn't really describe you this morning. I don't think either of those categories describe many of us here today. In other words, I don't think you are here on behalf of the empire to find ways to murder Christians. I'm fairly certain none of us are doing that this morning. Nor do I think any of you here, for the most part, as far as I can tell, have shown up as unbelievers to mock and ridicule Jesus. But our sin is still found in this sort of thing. Because your sin, very much like mine, is found in this. That when you look at all that's going on in our world right now, 
You respond in fear. You fear the circumstances of the world more than you fear, love, and trust God above all things. You see the world falling apart, and your faith is shaken because you doubt God's will. Now, at this point, you would expect me to say something to you like this. So all you need to do is just stop focusing so much on the bad and start focusing on the good. Take your eyes off the negative things of the world and fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And in this way, by the sort of holy ignoring of the things that are going around, focusing only on Jesus, all of your problems will disappear, your anxieties will melt away, and you will live in constant bliss. But I'm not going to say that to you. One, because that's not really true. Uh, and two, I don't know if you're going to do it. I don't know if I just tell you, hey, you go fix your eyes on Jesus and your, your problems will be solved. The problem is we're not going to fix our eyes on Jesus. We can try. We're going to do our best. We're going to come to church. We're going to read our Bibles. We'll try and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. But it's really hard with everything going on all around us. And if our sort of anxiety is going away and our fears being solved by us willing ourselves to look at Jesus as our only hope, we don't have a lot of hope. For our wills, though renewed by baptism, are yet weak and frail and still plagued by sin. So I'm not going to tell you this morning to do anything with Jesus. I'm just simply going to give him to you. I'm simply going to hand him over. I'm just simply going to deliver to you the Jesus who all Jerusalem and really all the world is aligned against. See, the whole world willed to overthrow his will. All were seeking to kill him. For that is what Jerusalem and this world do with Jesus. They kill him because he is a threat to them. But for lack of a better phrase, here's the joke. <laughs> He's actually come to die. In fact, that is God's will for Jesus to die. This is that great prophet, that prophet who was killed in Jerusalem, Isaiah, once prophesied when he said it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Well, think about this. Herod willed to kill Jesus. Herod wills Jesus dead, thinking that it will silence him. Yet, amazingly, it is the death of Christ that is proclaimed as victory over the powers and principalities of this world. All the world has to throw at Jesus is death, but it is with his death that he ironically, amazingly, miraculously overcomes the world. See, all these things, all these wills at work in the world seek to oppose Christ. They're just like Herod. They seek to oppose Christ. But Christ looks at them and says this, you go tell those foxes, behold, I cast out demons, and I perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. In other words, no matter what you throw at me, God's will will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, for it is God's will for Jesus to die for the sins of the world. And did he accomplish his will? Yes. That's why on the cross Jesus cries out, it is finished. You might think God's word is accomplished in this. Further, it is not only that God's, it is not only God's will that Jesus will die, but it is God's will for Christ to rise and to have victory over sin, over death, and over the devil. And as we sing on Easter, 
He lives, he lives, the victory's won. Death no longer can appall. No one, not concerned Pharisees, not violent kings, not rebellious people, not even your own doubting heart, can prevent Jesus from accomplishing his salvation for the world. Nothing can prevent him from doing God's will here on earth as it is in heaven. So let's get on. If nothing can prevent Jesus from doing God's will, you are for the world, then you should know that here this morning there is nothing that is going to prevent him from doing his will for you. For it is his will that you would be here today and that your sins would be forgiven, that he would forgive you your trespasses, and so, hear the good news. You are forgiven, all on account of Christ Jesus. In his stead and by his command, I declare to you today the forgiveness of all of your sins. For that is God's will. It is not God's will that you would be given into temptation, but, but instead that you would be delivered from the evil one. So when the evil one comes your way, you go tell that fox that he has nothing to say to you, for you belong to Christ Jesus. And as you look out on the world today, and you see that seems all, you see these things that seem all so fearful and all so strong, hear this. Christ finished his course, and on the third day won salvation for you. Therefore, hear and rejoice. God's will is done for you here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that your will is done for us in Christ Jesus. That our sins are forgiven. That our enemies are conquered. And that it is your will that we would belong to you and by his grace, we do. Grant us now, Lord, faith to trust in you. Teach us to continue to pray with confidence and boldness, knowing that you will accomplish all things for our good. We ask this in Jesus' most precious name.